You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Feldspar Ventures, an incubator studio that transforms early stage media properties into multimedia entertainment franchises. Their team is passionate about transforming a creator's vision into reality and commercial success. To learn more, visit FeldsparVentures.com. You're listening to All Things Video News. We're your hosts, Luke Wang. And Jackie Coppell. And today, we're going to change things up a little bit from the standard format of the All Things Video podcast. Typically, in weeks past, James has invited a guest speaker from the industry to come in and talk a little bit about their experience and their history and kind of their viewpoints on the online video business. Uh, today, we're actually going to change it up and talk a little bit about some news topics that uh, I think we've seen recently and touch a little bit about how the digital video business has been affecting society as a whole. So starting off, uh, several weeks ago, we saw the Democratic sit-in. In and of itself, it was, you could argue, a revolutionary statement act by the Democrats in Congress. But what made it so unique was that we saw it via social media. And it's actually the only way we saw it. Because when the specifics of the politics are that when Congress is not in session, C-SPAN is not allowed to roll camera. And it has to do with who's in the majority and and who has the right to make that call. But typically, whichever party is in the majority can make the decision. The decision was made, or even if it wasn't a decision, the foregone conclusion is that if it's not in session, cameras are off. So when Speaker Ryan closed the session, C-SPAN cameras went off. However, what with our mobile devices these days, the likes of Periscope and Facebook Live were relied upon and gave a front row seat to, you could argue, democracy in motion as to whether the politics of whether, you know, that was right or the right decision to make, you know, you and I could have our own opinions. But making this about the digital video and the impact that that had, not only did it have an impact and it really involved the country in this democratic process, it also actually prevented internal action from taking place because had the synod been happening and the cameras not been rolling, it is likely that Speaker Ryan might have sent the cops in to clear out the chamber. However, when you had millions of people watching it, watching these these statements by Congress people, watching them lift, you know, the photos of, of victims of gun violence, he knew, the Republicans knew, you couldn't shut that off. Because not only does obviously that stifle the conversation, that is not a good look. And that would have obviously really worked against them. So it was a smart move on the speaker's part to allow people to, to keep recording. Um, but it was sort of, it was really, in my opinion, breathtaking to watch it happen and to see the country get a real bird's eye view into some of the minutiae that, that can happen in Congress and, and you know, why... Why were the cameras shut down and, and what are the rules that are in place and, and who is allowed to speak and when and why? You have people really far more engaged, it feels like, than they ever have been before. Even a passive engage, you know, pa- someone who's passively engaging, they're still learning far more than you ever could before because we have cameras and video on our, you know, at our disposal. Absolutely. And I think um, that transparency is whether whatever side of the argument that I think you're on, I think that level of transparency benefits society as a whole because people are allowed to make their own decisions about things. They can they can see with their own eyes, 
you know, during a Periscope live stream or Facebook live stream or whatever, what's going on. And they can determine for themselves how they feel about it and what their takeaways are. Whereas in previous years, and all that information would have been filtered through a newspaper or a cable station um, or radio hosts or someone that, you know, may or may not have an agenda that could ultimately skew what the uh, actual events that un- uh, occurred were. So I think, you know, now there's that level of transparency where, you know, you can't argue with what you see on a video, you know, outside of maybe doctoring a video or anything like that. But obviously in a live stream, there's no room to do that. You're seeing things as they unfurl. You know, I think it allows for some really, really interesting conversation. I think people tend to be more careful about their actions and think twice um, about what they say or do when they know that there's a possibility of, you know, a 100K streaming audience watching their every move. Absolutely. I mean, it certainly makes you far more aware of what's going on. And it, the other thing that that happened from that is uh, the Congress people actually put up a phone number, sort of the general number, so you could call into your representatives and make you know, make your voice heard that much more. And again, you had so much more involvement in the, the quote, democratic process because people could be informed, call this number 202, whatever it was, and tell your congressperson, tell your senator you want action taken. I would imagine tens of thousands. I mean, I made a call and I know based on Facebook posts, I saw a lot of other people make calls to express support for the sit-in for for their congressperson to to vote for some measure of gun control. Uh, and likewise, I'm sure that there were people who then, who do not want gun control, who were then able to call in. But either way, voices were able to be heard. And you can take part, it seems, you can take part in the democratic process a lot more because of the facility that, tra- that technology is allowing. Now, interestingly, even with video, we're still seeing denials and questions and, oh, well, it's grainy, but I, that's just people who haven't come around, right? right I mean, right. there is, there's, you, there's just no denying. Like, <laughs> there is video. Like, it's not confusing. Yeah. It's not grainy. Yeah. You see people, you see a gun. It's very clear what's happening. And that obviously brings us to the events of, of this past week where yeah. you had two incidents that were captured one as it was happening by a bystander, one directly after by someone who is involved in the situation. And unfortunately, the loss of two African-Americans, men who lost their lives due to, due to this violence. Um, but unfortunately, you also saw, again, via video, as it was happening, this horrible shooting of police officers who were bravely and beautifully running toward the gunfire to protect citizens, doing exactly what we want cops to do and doing the right thing. I mean, it's heartbreaking and tragic all around. Um, But hopefully it's actually the video images that A, allow for justice and B, allow for a recognition of respect for those who were doing their jobs and doing exactly what what we hope that officers will do. And, you know, we have the utmost respect and gratitude for for that work while still recognizing there are problems. Absolutely. I think one thing that I think is super interesting is that, you know, in, in all these cases, whether it was the, the two shootings that happened or um, at the, the Black Lives Matter rally in Dallas. Um, I do want to know, even though it was at the rally, the shooter was totally uninvolved with Black Lives Matter. And I think right. it's really important that that's very clear. Right. In fact, he had a public statement where he was he said he was frustrated with Black Lives Matter and he was frustrated that, you know, obviously African-Americans especially men were being killed. So he may have had, apparently he was, a, I think, a reservist. He, there's some 
thought that maybe he had PTSD, it's very clear he was just a madman. I did want to make that clear so that even though it was a protest, it was not related to the act. And it was like such a peaceful protest. Right. And we saw that in so many different ways because it seems like when something like this happens now, you know, people's first reaction is not to call 911 on their phones. It's to load up Facebook, load up Periscope, load up YouTube, whatever it is, get it on recording because they know that once they have it on tape, you can't alter that because of the power of not just the ability to capture content, but to also share it in the distribution power that, that Facebook has. I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but I think it's definitely interesting how it speaks to our society today. When you see something happen that's, that you would consider an injustice, your first instinct is not to call the police or to find help. It's to capture it on video so that, you know, other people can see what's happening as well. I mean, I think, unfortunately, one of the reasons that that's the case, especially when it's regarding issues where it seems like racial bias is, t- is playing a role, is that oftentimes these Americans don't feel like they can rely on the police. And therefore, the only recourse is if I capture it on video and it's mine, it can't be lost. And, and you really you started to see a little bit of that because with the unfortunate shooting of Alton Sterling, the cops were wearing body cameras, but then the police said, well, they fell off during the altercation, as it were. Well, that may be, and I don't know, you know, and if that's the case, that's unfortunate, but that video would have been lost. It's the fact that people have their own tools now that they can rely on themselves to hopefully find justice and to hopefully, um, utilize that technology so that if there are instances where there is some distrust, there is backup. And unfortunately, that's a prime case of why the use of your personal technology is so powerful and can be so powerful. And now there are more of these videos coming out regarding the passing of Mr. Sterling and and what transpired. But initially, it was because a woman just videotaped it and she was watching it in the car next to it happening. So if you if you take a look at the Philando Castile situation where, you know, you've got a woman who is literally speaking into her phone as her boyfriend or fiance is laying next to her dying after having just gotten shot um, by a police officer. It's it's crazy to think that how she's it almost feels like she's been accustomed to this and that this is her first instinct is to break out her phone and make sure that other people can see what's going on. Um, as opposed to calling a friend, calling a neighbor, calling a family member for help. So I think that, you know, the impact that Facebook has now is is so tremendous in the way that you can distribute information, not just, you know, opinions about things or articles that we all like to share back and forth from BuzzFeed, but actual live video content is is so important now. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure if this is what Facebook had initially intended when they rolled out the Facebook live video feature. But I would say that this has been by far the most impactful result of that feature is, is all the different, you know, political and, and social justice incidents, I guess you'd call them, that, that have happened since they've, you know, promoted the feature. Well, Mark Zuckerberg actually put out a statement after the tragedy with Mr. Castile and, and I mean, at the crux of his statement after obviously expressing deep sorrow for it having happened was that it's exactly what, you know, to take it for a moment out of the tragedy and just talk about the product itself exactly what they hoped or their goal is, right? Connecting the world, you know, to one another and to experiences 
and live obviously is a huge push for them. And, and to see this happen in real time where people were able to engage absolutely fits in to what the, what Facebook's goals are, you know, for the world, right. Mm -hmm. Connecting the world sort of one person at a time. And this is an example where it obviously connected. Now to, to flip it a little bit, a lot of people have actually said that it's, they're not so happy about having these videos show up in their feed, especially one that's as graphic as that video was. And there's a question, you know, of when you're scrolling through your feed, I noticed some people commented on Facebook, you know, seeing that video was not exactly what they were not just expecting, but they weren't, they didn't necessarily want to see it. And videos like that, you know, are, they're so distressing, they're so disturbing with autoplay. How do you, how does Facebook handle that, right? And when there's autoplay, all of a sudden you're watching this video. Now, I think they added, after the fact, they've added in sort of a warning message. But when it happens right away and Facebook hasn't intervened and there's no warning message, autoplay does exactly its job. And then all of a sudden you're watching it. And so I guess I would ask you, what are your thoughts in terms of how much should be seen and how much access should people be given? Because maybe some people don't want that access. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really interesting question. And I think one thing that people are not super familiar with is that you're able to hide certain posts on Facebook and you're in your newsfeed, particularly that, you know, you can say, I, I don't want to see any more articles or posts or whatever from this person or on this thing. So that's the first thing I would say is, you know, understanding how to control your feed. It's, it's all part of the settings that Facebook doesn't advertise that a lot because they obviously want to show you kind of everything that's going on, but they also recognize that people have different interests. And if they, just because they're not engaging with it, doesn't mean that they, they like seeing it. You know, there's certain things that people want to tend to block out. And that actually kind of ties into a little bit about something they got in trouble with about a month ago, which is, you know, there were certain, I think, former engineers or former, former Facebook employees that had said that Facebook actively hid conservative news or Republican uh, news articles from the trending topics section of the Facebook page and that they were trying to mute out Republican voices. And that caused another big controversy is Facebook dictates so much of what we consume from the media as, you know, as people, how much power is too much power. So I don't know if I just answered your question with a question there, but I'm going to shoot it back to you on that sure. one. Well, just addressing the first, I think, well, yes, people can control their feeds, unfortunately. Well, for people who want to, to sort of root out some of some content versus others, it seems like you actually, it's somewhat uncontrollable, right? I mean, sure, you can block certain people, but the video is probably autoplayed already. So I don't know that there's actually a way around it, right? If videos are being shared on online, on particularly on Facebook, I don't know that there's a way, at least right now with the product, to hide that information. You can hide individual posts, whether a brand or a, you know someone you follow, but I, that's not probably going to, you know, in the case of Mr. Castile in that video, probably wasn't going to stop it from playing on people's uh, feeds. Um, in terms of the second question as to how much power Facebook should have, I mean, then let's get into antitrust and, you know, how much power should any company have? I would, I would argue, if anything, Facebook has overcorrected, it seems all about Republican politics these days. So maybe they are auto-correcting, uh, overcorrecting. And if it's true that, that there was information being hidden, that's not good. I think we don't want people stuck in their own echo chamber because that all that does, I mean, then we can get into that conversation, mm -hmm. right? All that does is 
you just get messages that you agree with and you think the whole world is on your, your side and then you walk out your door or you, in this case, you look at someone else's Facebook feed and you're like, what? People don't agree with me? Right. That's crazy. It pushes them further into their own line of thinking Absolutely. without opening up the conversation for opposing views. Absolutely. And I think even President Obama and there's a New York senator former senator, he's passed away. His name is Dana Patrick Moynihan. I believe it's a quote from him. I'm paraphrasing. But it was essentially that you need both sides because America does best essentially when it swings back and forth because it, it writes itself in a way. Now, you can agree with that or not, but even President Obama has come out and said, you know, you need discourse. You can't you can't stifle conversation. So if it, if it is true that Facebook was doing that, then, you know, that, that probably does not ultimately serve our country. If they were not doing it and it was, you know, just sort of hullabaloo and, or angry ex-employees, you know, because that was a theory as well, right. we'll never know. But, but hopefully it's Facebook is, it's almost like a utility now. So you've got to, I think it's incumbent upon Facebook to recognize they've done such a brilliant job of making us dependent on it they have a real responsibility to make sure it's fair and just in, in the way that things transpire. That said, Mark Zuckerberg does own Facebook. And so, you know, he has come out and said, and you can see by the actions that Facebook has taken, like they're probably going to speak out on things that are deemed unjust. And, you know, they're probably going to stand up for certain positions that they feel are right. I think by and large, those positions are shared by the majority. But, you know, that's what you get when you create, when you create Facebook and everyone relies on it. Mm-hmm. You get some power. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I, I think just from a personal perspective, for me at least, Facebook now seems like a place where it's at least from at least from my Facebook feed. And maybe this is because they the algorithm recognizes that I engage a lot more with political news. But Facebook is almost purely politics, with the occasional like BuzzFeed baby video, cat video. Instagram is honestly where I see most of my friends' stuff, and and also Snapchat. Um, I'd say Instagram and Snapchat are are where I get the most updates from my, you know, immediate network of, of family and friends. So it's, it's, you know, a little interesting to see how like each social media platform is now carved out its own niche. And I wouldn't say that this is going to be a longstanding or this is the way it's always going to be. I think Facebook recently announced that they're sort of reverting back into prioritizing family and friends posts over posts from brands or news sites or whatever. You know, like you said, in the same way, there's kind of a swing in the pendulum. They're going back and, you know, finding what, services the user first and foremost, which is something that I appreciate that the company does. So yeah, but but it's really not fun for those brands and those new news agencies. I mean, <laughs> but I read an article that was that went in depth talking about how frustrating it is for these brands and, and news sites because essentially Facebook created a market and they created a platform and they're literally pulling it out from under some of these right. these companies. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that works, but also from Facebook's bottom line, it's sort of interesting to see because obviously they rely on some of the income that comes in from these companies. So which companies get more affected, how it sort of meets out will be really interesting to see. And also, I think there's a real question. Do people want to see friends and family's posts or do they now actually want... I mean, I get so much of my news and information from Facebook I want to see friends and family, but I actually go to Facebook because I want information. So the idea that that would suddenly disappear and I would get like, hey, I picked my nose today or, you know, like some kid, on, you know, doing whatever. It's very cute, but I love the dialogue that comes from Facebook. So I certainly hope that doesn't go away. 
with all the stuff that's happened this week, we've seen a lot and heard a lot from celebrities and, and influencers and both mainstream and digital, I guess, um, actually more so probably on the mainstream side, I would say, just kind of speaking out about the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, speaking out for police um, and, and sort of understanding the difficulty of the jobs that they have. And, you know, I think a lot of this is really good discourse, like we talked about, um, being able to have a platform where people can talk about where they're coming from and and hopefully find a common ground. Because while we may not always agree with each other, I think the most important thing is being able to see and empathize from the other person's point of view. What have you seen, if anything, you know, from from the, I guess, the influencer or, or, or social media influencer side of things? I think that just as we said, you've seen a lot or at least a lot of attention has come from traditional celebrities just in the past, you know, 48 hours. And unfortunately, it's everything's taken place so quickly. Uh, it really is just the past few days. But you've, you know, obviously people express their their thoughts and prayers and condolences uh, as a general statement. Um, but we saw here in L.A., um, you saw the game and Snoop Dogg come out. They were, I think it was streamed, um, but it may, it may have been recorded video where they went down, they went to the LAPD, they actually ended up attending a graduation ceremony for new new cadets, as it were, to express appreciation. And they had this really great conversation with an officer outside. It just it was there was so much respect. There was so much kindness shared between the two. And that seeing videos like that, that is what really makes a difference where you see these people. Right. We're all just people at the end of the day engaging in conversation and engaging in respectful discourse. That's amazing. I think there's an interesting question. Maybe this is what you were getting at, which is what about the sort of traditional YouTube community? I haven't actually seen as much. Now, everyone has different video cycles, right? So I want to be respectful and some people have videos out on a Tuesday, but you actually haven't seen in after Orlando, there was an enormous amount I felt from from the YouTube community, keeping in mind it also Orlando came the day after the tragic loss of Christina Grimmie. So there was a, a double hit there in some ways. And, and I think the community was already on, on alarm because of the death of, and shooting of Christina. But I haven't seen as much. And, and, and maybe it is because this it wasn't specific to a YouTuber. It wasn't specific to. But that, that said, I just haven't seen as much of it. I want to underscore that does not mean that people do not sympathize, empathize and are not seeking the same justice. I do think respectfully that people are at a loss as to what to do Mm -hmm. and you don't want to say the wrong thing and you don't, you know, people don't know how I know that I'm white. I will never fully understand what it means to be black in America. Mm. And I think sometimes uh, you know, I think influencers tend to be a little bit nervous about alienating their fan bases and, and you know, get into whether that's right or wrong. But I think I think there's I think the country's just at a loss as to what to say. So I think what this the, the question it begets is, is what sort of moral responsibility do it do influencers have or do they have a moral responsibility to speak out? And, you know, this is something that celebrities have dealt with or had to face, you know, since the age of celebrity. At what point? What point do you have to speak out? I think it would be far for me to, it would be difficult for me to say that every influencer has a responsibility to speak out on a topic that they may or may not have a true opinion on in the sense of 
being able to say, you know, if, if there was a police, an, uh, an influencer who was an ex-police officer or a black influencer who can speak directly to how they feel about in those particular situations, I, I would expect it more from from those types of influences because the the situation that we're discussing pertains so closely to those minority groups and professional groups. Influencer in China that may or may not, you know, know this kind of stuff. Like I, I'm not expecting it. So I think I think it's hard for a lot of influencers to do so because again, they're not just representing themselves. They're also representing a lot of different brands or representing a lot of different parts of culture. Um, I had a friend actually who has a kayaking channel. He's like a he's a kayak fishing channel. Um, he posted something about this probably about I think right after uh, the first shooting happened. He took it down about six hours later. And I told him, hey, I was looking for it because I, I thought it was a really great video and I asked him where the video went. And he said he had to take it down because he honestly just was so tired of seeing all the ignorant comments that are being made on the video. And he didn't want that video to sort of incite a lot of hateful comments on his Facebook page for that. But then after the second shooting happened and then after the Dallas shooting shootings happened, he re-uploaded it again and felt that it was necessary to have that discourse and it was necessary to have people express their opinions and then have other people express counter opinions so that people could understand where these uh, viewpoints are being made from. So for his specific standpoint, I understand because he's also talking about he has all these different fishing brands that expect him not to put their brands in a precarious position. And because his Facebook page is directly tied to who, to his influencer brand, almost legally speaking or, or contractually speaking, he's not allowed to have that kind of content out there. But it's a tricky question. And, and I don't know if there's necessarily a right way or wrong way. I would say that I think that I'm, as a consumer, more interested in listening to people that have are part of those communities that are that we are debating and if it's someone that's less, you know, if it's someone that's less involved or less, uh, not as much to do with that, I'm not expecting them to necessarily come out with an opinion. I think it's an interesting question because you bring up a good point where, you know, if you're a beauty guru who has very, who perhaps is not involved in political discourse at all and maybe doesn't understand the issue, you know, to what extent do they have a responsibility to speak out? In fact, maybe it's better they don't, you know, maybe it's better that, you know, or a gamer doesn't speak out because they don't know enough information. I think perhaps maybe my thought is, I think there is a moral responsibility. Uh, I'd like to think as humans, we we would all want to treat each other equally and, and kindly. But I think for those who perhaps have a platform where any real knowledge of the issue, that they would speak out. And even if it's a little uncomfortable, just like your your friend experienced it's so important actually for his audience then to hear the experience of others uh, and to hear that the country is hurting and it's not just that black people are hurting, it's that everyone is, is hurting and, and that we are, we are one, we are all just human. The, the conversation seems to be so necessary that I do believe if, if you have an audience and you have any feeling about it whatsoever, my hope is you would speak up, even if it's just to say, I'm so sorry for the, the loss of life, period. Right. Know, no one's saying you have, there's no sides. There shouldn't be sides in this conversation. This is about loss of life and it's about equality and, and making people and uh, communicate and have respect for one another. This is not a, a sides issue. This is not a, a Black Lives Matter versus police issue. As, as a lot of people have now come out and said it, you can be pro-police and pro-Black Lives and that is awesome. And you can have those things and they are not counter to one another. So I think 
my hope is that influencers feel comfortable speaking and engaging with their audiences. And some, look, some people are not always going to like it, but it was, I believe Carmelo Anthony, actually, obviously he's not an influencer. He's a basketball star, but he, he came out and said, you know, to the sports figures out there, you cannot stay silent. You cannot worry about your endorsements. It's just gone too far. And, you know, the hope is it's, it's speaking about the, the country and where the country is. And hopefully people see the tools that are at their disposal, see the technology, see the, the video that's out there and use that to not just have a discussion, but to heal and to move forward. And just as much as we may see you know, these very graphic videos, let's all look at the Instagram photos and Twitter photos of the Dallas PD showing the protesters and the police together smiling and, and showing these, you know, having these gorgeous conversations about um, there was one, a woman wrote a status update and how she went in and an officer said to, you know, said to her, how are you? She said, you know, fine. He said, no, how are you? And, you know, I think if I'm paraphrasing, but she said, I'm tired. And he said, me too. It's been a rough week for both of us, huh? And she said, it was such an unbelievable moment Let's share those, right? And that's the glory of social media is I think that you can get back to what what we are at our best, which is our humanity and our love and respect for one another. And the sharing of those conversations, I think is so important. Hopefully it drowns out the, the negative and the trolls and, and, and all of that. But in summary, I think there is some moral responsibility to have a conversation as long as you have any sort of feeling about it whatsoever. Right. I think that's the key is, is, is having the knowledge and, and not just speaking out as a gut reaction to things or on an emotional belt, on an emotional level, but having done the research, you know, giving yourself some time to actually see things from both points of view and then having a take that is representative of that. Influencers are all about being authentic. So let it be your authentic take. Right. You know, whatever right. that may be. So on that note, um, I think we're going to wrap it up for our very first All Things Video News podcast. Um, what it's worth, I think, will not be quite as political. Agreed. But it obviously, with the happenings this past week and this past month, seeing the rise of social media and, and video and live and the impact that that's having on our everyday lives, it's important to talk about. Agreed. But, you know, in the future, we'll have lots of conversations <laughs> and virtual reality. We even get to VidCon. Yeah, I know. Uh, VidCon was great. Yeah, well, VidCon was great. VidCon. Yeah, they did a great job. It was the most <laughs> three-word recap of VidCon. Yeah, VidCon was great. great. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but this was this was great. I'm looking yeah. forward to doing it again. Absolutely. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll we'll see you guys soon. Thanks for tuning in. This has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time. Bye.